Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome back to Chaplain Stories. We are back after an all-too-long hiatus with some brand new episodes that are going to be dropping in the coming weeks and months. Uh, We are going to start things off with Chaplain Colonel Jimmy Nichols, the garrison chaplain at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, He has a wealth of experience from nearly three decades on active duty, and I think you are really going to enjoy this conversation. It's a great way to relaunch the podcast, uh, especially in light of current events with the recent pullout in Afghanistan and the hard-to-believe 20th anniversary of September 11th right around the corner. Uh, As always, the opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of the speakers and do not represent official Army or DOD positions. Enjoy the show. All right, I'm Jimmy Nichols. I'm the installation chaplain here at Fort Jackson. I've been here for one year, and uh, I've got 28 years of uh, active service and uh, retiring in December. All right. Now, I don't know that uh, I've ever had anyone on the podcast who is serving as an installation chaplain. Um, Tell me a little bit about what your responsibilities are as the installation chaplain. Uh, It's uh, ensuring uh, all the worship services and the chapels are running uh, smoothly and uh, everyone is provided for, uh, all the different faith groups. Uh, so we have uh, Bible studies, uh, we've got uh, Islamic service, Jewish service, um, Church of Christ, uh, Hispanic. Um, some of these have been on hold uh, because of COVID um, to prevent the spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, primary role is just to make sure that uh, all the uh, worship service opportunities are rolling. and. Uh, operating smoothly and the chapels are maintained and yeah uh, and we also provide uh family life chaplain uh, support so uh chaplain ronnie Irwin is our family life chaplain here does a great job and he does counseling pastoral counseling and uh does workshops uh routinely as well as provides training for our uh, chaplains here on post and then uh, we also have uh, a resource manager that's part of the uh Garrison uh, really support operations, Chaplain Ho Chang Min, and uh, he's uh, all about ensuring uh, the funds all are there and are properly um, received and executed, uh, or uh, chapel ties and offerings funds and their appropriated funds. So sounds like you're pretty busy then um, managing all of that. It's a full-time job. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. And this uh, is kind of a unique installation, too, in that it's the largest uh, basic training installation, correct? Exactly. Yes. We uh, train more uh, recruits here than anywhere else uh, in the world. And uh, so with two uh, full uh, active brigades, uh, six battalions each, um, turning out um, 
several thousand trainees uh, annually. Well, let's transition here. And, uh, you know, most folks who I talk to, um, kind of a, a unique thing with the chaplain corps, is we, we tend to be a little bit older when we become chaplains, just mm-hmm. by virtue of all the education requirements and different things that you have to have, denominational requirements, um, before you can be fully qualified as a chaplain. So what did you do before you became a chaplain? Uh, well, I um, never felt, uh, thought I would end up going to college or anything. I just wanted to, you know, be a faithful servant of the Lord and uh, uh, graduate high school, get married. and uh, But then I felt the call on my life to minister. Uh, and I ran from that for a while because my father was a pastor and, I uh, knew the struggles associated with uh, the ministry, and uh, but after a while, uh, the Lord got a hold of me and convicted me, and I, I uh, went ahead and accepted the call. And uh, at that point, um, I decided to uh, enlist for the college money. And uh, so I enlisted, served in Hanau, Germany uh, for two years, and uh, it was while in Hanau, Germany, I found out about the Church of God Christian Servicemen Center ministry. So we had operated about 38 servicemen centers across the world. Wherever there were troops, uh, there were servicemen centers. And uh, my wife's dad pastored the servicemen center in Frankfurt. And so I would take um, the train every weekend uh, to her dad's church. And uh, every Tuesday night, he led a Bible study. Um, and I would go to that until he recruited me to start leading it, and then I led it. Um, but one thing led to the other. I was the first to uh, date uh, the pastor's daughter, and uh, so now we've been married for uh, almost 34 years. So we gotta we got to get this straight here because— um... You know, you said initially you were you were hesitant, and then you end up dating the pastor's daughter, <laughs> marrying exactly. the pastor's daughter, and now here you sit as a, as a colonel getting ready to retire from the chaplain corps. So, um, so so tell me what what changed for you after you know running from the you know running from the call or not uh, with those experiences that you had with your uh, with your family. Uh, and seeing the the challenges of the ministry, and then deciding that was where the Lord was leading you. Um, I uh, fell in love with uh, ministry to the military. Uh, I loved uh, traveling. I loved being overseas. Uh, loved Germany, and so when uh, we got married, uh, we actually uh, remained in Germany for a couple more years. Uh, as a civilian and, and directed a serviceman center in Aschaffenburg. And uh, so when uh, we left Aschaffenburg to go to school, went to Lee University, I had already met um, uh, some chaplains. And uh, one of my earliest heroes is uh, Chaplain David Smart. Uh, he was a young captain chaplain at that point, and uh, I attended a memorial ceremony that he led uh, in Grafenvir, and uh, I was just really impressed um, with the, the caliber minister he was, and he happened to be my denomination. So mm. um, that sort of, you know, got my head turned towards, hey, you know, you can do ministry, uh, but you can also do it in a fun and challenging environment. And so it kind of piqued my curiosity about the chaplain corps, and uh, so that's 
how I got in this direction. So once I um, started school, I became a chaplain candidate and uh, met other chaplains and uh, just had a wonderful experience with the chaplain basic course, summer of 94. Met a lot of fabulous uh, peers uh, that I've enjoyed serving with for decades now. And, uh, and we've been, you know, lifelong friends since then. Um, so it's been, you know, an uh, interesting turn of events. I had no clue, never in my life, uh, envision or wildest dreams, thought I'd be going into the military, uh, much less being uh, an officer in the Army. Uh, yet uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He, uh, he guides our path. So. And it, it, it's interesting, too. We were talking uh, before we started recording that, one of the people who you went to the basic course with was Bill Killo, um, who was the very first person that I interviewed for this podcast. So it's a small world in it the Chaplain is. Corps. Yes, it is. We and I are still connected. He's good friends. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, so you, you're a service member, um, and, and that's kind of how you meet your wife. How, what did your family think? when you decided um, that the Lord was leading you to the chaplaincy? Um, well, the, the chaplaincy was, uh, that was an easy sell, okay? Um, a much more difficult sell was uh, enlisted in the first place uh, because it just really caught my mom and dad uh, in left field. They were, they were just blown away. Uh, I was... Uh, sort of the associate pastor uh, for my dad, song leader, worship leader. And so it, it created a pretty big hole. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in charge of our youth group. Um, and it wasn't just me, both m- me and my brother uh, enlisted together. And he was the piano player. And so uh, it was uh, quite uh, unnerving for them. And they were like, are you sure you've prayed about this? Are you sure it's the Lord's will? <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, we were pretty, pretty confident that, uh, you know, the Lord had us on a path. And uh, the only way we could afford college was going to the Army and getting the college fund. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, once I had enlisted and uh, I had ministered to soldiers and their families, uh, becoming a chaplain, that was pretty easy. Yeah. Um, yeah that was an easy next step. Um, matter of fact, when I was in seminary, uh, at that point, I was still trying to decide whether or not to go back to Germany as a civilian serviceman center director uh, or be a chaplain. And my buddies were, who were already in the candidate program said, look, Jimmy, you, you love to travel already. You like ministry of the military. It only makes sense uh, to be a chaplain, too. And so I did my research. I wrote a paper on it comparing the two ministries. And uh, the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like being a chaplain was where it was at. Uh, so in the last couple of decades has proven it out to uh, be the case. You know, I've enjoyed it. It's been a terrific ministry, and I would definitely do it all over again. It's so interesting how that happens sometimes where, you know, God calls into ministry, but that's not always clear at what that is at the time. And then it's only with time and, and sometimes some paths you never thought you might take, like exactly. the Army, that those two things come together um, and, and God shows what he had in store yes. the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So when, uh, when did you start in the chaplaincy and what was your first unit? 
Okay, I, uh, 10 June of 96, uh, we drove through the front gate of Fort Hood, Texas, and um, it was Patty's first time uh, being uh, a spouse of a soldier, and uh, it was hot as blue blazes. We were in the middle of a drought in Texas. Everything was brown to include the golf course, and uh, the first set of uh, housing uh, government quarters we saw was like this ugly shade of uh, mustard yellow. And, and a tear started going down her face, and she's like, do we have to live there? And I said, no, honey, we, we get a choice where we can live. And so, <laughs> but, you know, the roads were like tank destroyer road, hell on wheels road. And you there's know. <laughs> still that, too. I just came yeah. from there. <laughs> All these, you know, really cruel-sounding names. Yeah. And, uh, and she, we were just coming from, you know, the mountains of foothills of Tennessee. And so it's such a dramatic change change of scenery going from uh, East Tennessee to uh, Central Texas, uh, but uh, it turned out to be a wonderful three-year assignment, you know, uh, not much to say for the looks of Forts, Fort Hood, but uh, the people and uh, the uh, friendships that we made made it all uh, worthwhile. So you're, you're finishing up uh, at Fort Hood in the, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was your follow-on assignment from there? Went to a two-year command-sponsored tour in Korea. So never thought I'd ever wanted to go to Korea, but wound up going and loved it. And uh, at that point, uh, we um, had three children. Our third son was born at Fort Hood. Uh, our fourth son, who's now fixing to be 21, uh, was born in uh, Korea. One to one General Hospital there at Yongsong. And uh, so mom, Patty was a stay-at-home mom at that point. And uh, so I was with the MI uh, battalion. And so we had detachments all over the peninsula. So me and uh, my chaplain assistant, we had a little Corando Jeep, and we just traveled all over doing all those visitations and services and suicide prevention classes. And it was just a tremendous time. We had a blast. So one of the reasons why I started this podcast in the first place was uh, to capture the stories of folks, uh, especially who had some experiences in the chaplaincy prior to September 11th, and then continued to serve afterwards. So we're, we're coming up, hard to believe, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11-2001. So tell me about um, where you were serving when that happened and uh, what that was like for you. What what changed, uh, if anything, from those pre-9-11 years uh, to service afterwards? Well, prior to 9-11, uh, the biggest uh, events on the calendar was going to the National Training Center at Fort Irwin, California, and going to the Joint Readiness Training Center in uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. So my first three years, I did four rotations uh, at the um, National Training Center, and uh, That's lots a of time. Lot of time in it, the it is, there. yeah, it I've is. I've only been there once, and and that was enough. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and just hot as blue blazes, um, and um, you know, living in pup tents, and just I was with a field artillery unit, so yeah, lots of time at uh, both the National Training Center as well as Fort Hood's uh, back forty. 
in the field. Um, so back then, it was it was those events going to the national training centers. Did a lot of duty days with guys. You know, like on a Friday, I'd uh, you know rent a TMP bus, and uh, we'd take a you know 40 soldiers to San Antonio. We'd park under the overpass, and we we would do um, the uh, a tour of all the missions. There's about a dozen missions, old Catholic missions, and so we would tour different ones, and the last one being the Alamo, and then we'd provide them lunch and then have a, uh, a service, and just a great time. Uh, so that's kind of what it was like, and of course, you know, marriage workshops and retreats, we did all that. So that was a big difference. Um, when I PCS to Korea, did more of, more of that. After Korea, went to the 82nd and uh, was there three years. It was in the 82nd that I uh, experienced 911. So I had just finished PT. I had got in my car. I was about to drive home, and on the radio, I heard about the first aircraft that went into the tower. And uh, so I transfixed i was listening in the parking lot and so after a little bit i i started driving home and then in the the second plane i turned around drove to the battalion headquarters went to my battalion commander's office jeffrey bailey and uh he and i were both watching the news and we were just we at that point were the uh the ready brigade and so we just thought we were going to we thought we were going to be leaving in a matter of days now for folks who may not be aware can you tell us what's the what is the ready brigade uh well each brigade goes through different um uh, periods of of readiness okay the ready brigade means that within uh, 72 hours you could be wheels up on a plane going to a certain part of the world uh, for deployment so we were that unit uh, and then there's there's the you know, there's white phase, black phase, and uh, green phase, and so we were the ready brigade. So we were thinking that wow, uh, we're going to be going to You're Afghanistan. Just waiting to get yeah. the phone call. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you know the next several months we, you know, were just all about deploy readiness training uh, in the field, and I can recall foolishly. Uh, being jealous of the 10th Mountain Division mm. because they actually got to deploy before the 82nd, and um, so and we were kind of worried about well you know this this is all going to blow over before we even get a chance to go you know fight the Taliban. <laughs> mm. um, uh, well, we certainly got our chance. Uh, so I deployed my unit, First Brigade, 82nd, uh, December of 02, um, and uh, on into the late 03. Uh, so that was uh, my first experience uh, with the combat deployment in Afghanistan. Uh, so very interesting times. What was it like um, in those, you know, early years of deployments? I know in the later years, things built up, infrastructure built up. Um, what was that like for you in, in that deployment to Afghanistan? Uh, that first uh, deployment was this big tent city. Uh, the first month was in Bagram, and then uh, the unit, the whole battalion, moved down to Kandahar. And it, it was before any kind of. Um, there were some structures that had gone up that were wood, but mostly tents, um, and very sparse, uh, barren. And uh, I was with the uh, Parachute Infantry Regiment, 
And at that point, the Taliban was on the run. Okay, they were hiding out, and uh, so there. Thankfully, I mean that there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, engagement at that point. We were going to different villages, looking for HVTs, high high aid targets, and looking for senior Taliban members. Uh, but because it it wasn't you know uh, as dangerous a time. Uh, I got to go with them a lot, mm. my, my infantry companies. And they're like, Chaplain, hey, we're going. You know, won't you come with us? So I, yeah. I'd go with them and uh, had a great time, just ministry of presence, doing services for them. Um, so it was just a wonderful time. Uh, my the, the most joy I've had as a chaplain is just doing services, you know, out in the field in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, with the troops and uh, bringing God to soldiers and soldiers to God. Uh, so it's uh, it was difficult to be away from the family, but at the same time, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that's where I belonged. That's where I needed to be. So in the, in the last uh, couple days, our leadership decided it was time to uh, to end the mission in Afghanistan, and I know that's been particularly uh, emotional for a lot of folks. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, uh, a, as a chaplain, um, knowing that there's there's going to be other chaplains listening, other service members listening, um, if you had anything you wanted to say just about that, you having experienced it, and especially uh, in those early days, um, uh, anything you would like to say to those folks who are, are wrestling with um, the end of that, that period? You know... Um... There are things that are beyond our control, uh, and uh, as ministers, as chaplains, unit ministry team members, we have to concentrate on things that are within our realm of control. And so that is, and that doesn't change, is uh, ministry to our, our troops and, and the families. Uh, so uh, I think what we have done over the past two decades is provide uh, outstanding uh, support, spiritual support, religious support to our soldiers, airmen, Marines, uh, and been there for them. And uh, we've we've made an impact uh, that is eternal. And uh, I I don't regret that at all. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, yes, there's going to be a lot of regret, uh, particularly for the Gold Star family members who've lost someone. Uh, but as far as uh, me, looking back with regret, as far as my deployments there in Afghanistan, I just think uh, it was for such a time as this that God had me there uh, for uh, those that I was able to impact and uh, minister to. So yeah, I'll do it again. So let's transition here to some of these other questions. Um, it's always interesting to, to hear from chaplains when I ask these questions. Um, so I, I know you've got uh, you've got some badges on your uniform there, so I'm curious if any of these are going to make the cut. Uh, what would you say is the most physically challenging thing you've done or experienced as a chaplain? Uh, the most physically challenging uh, event would be air assault school. Okay, that three-week course uh, is was more difficult than uh, airborne school. Um, 
spreading it out a little bit further. My most challenging physical assignment was the 82nd. Okay, three years there. Um, what made that one particularly challenging? Uh, because I, I had a couple of battalion commanders that just loved to run. And uh, twice a month, they would take their his staff out uh, and see who he could be, make fall out. Uh, so uh, thankfully, I never fell out of a run. And when I got there, uh, the deputy division chaplain um, told me, he "says As long as you never fell out, fall out of a run, you'll be you'll be fine." And uh, so we went on some long, high speed, six, seven, eight mile runs. Um, and then other, other times we'd uh, sometimes we'd have rucksacks on. Other times we we wouldn't. So it was just and then push up, sit up. So it was. Uh, definitely the best shape of my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the Lord had to help me through that. Right. Well, what about spiritually challenging? Uh, what's been the most spiritually challenging thing you've experienced as a chaplain? You know, um, hands down, it would be the year in Iraq. Um, I talked about my time in Afghanistan. It wasn't so bad because it was early on. The Taliban was on the run. When I deployed with 2nd Brigade 101st uh, to Camp Stryker, Iraq, 05 and 06, uh, it was in the heat of the battle, the fight. And um, so we lost 56, um, let's see, 52 KIA, four suicides uh, across the BCT at that time, and just hundreds more wounded and uh, left the theater missing limbs. Uh, so that became a challenge um, because, one, I was blessed to be the brigade chaplain. I was responsible for ensuring uh, the worship services across the brigade, and uh, we had couple of dozen services through the week. We had Bible study. So every night there was something going on uh, with multiple services across the weekend. So that sort of, that busyness uh, helped staying busy. Uh, but what it did is it is sort of masked mm -hmm. a depression that uh, I went through. I sort of went through a dark night of the soul because um, my uh, commander was a devout Catholic, and, and he said, Chaplain, I want you to pray at the beginning of every bub. And, uh, you know, that that's all well and good, uh, but then when every day you're losing people and there's n more IED strikes, um, after a while those prayers get uh, to be more difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, one, you don't want to be re repeating yourself, uh, but also it's just like, well, Lord, what's going on? You know, I— we can't win for losing. You know, we just keep. And uh, so that, that became a challenge. So I, I prayed every single day that year. Um, and uh, I was dying on the inside at the same time, uh, still going through the motions. And that was kind of one of the things I learned that, uh, you know, sometimes the most difficult faith is uh, the kind of faith where you continue your positive actions and, and you can complete the mission in spite of good feelings, mm -hmm. in, in spite of um, the evidence. Um, and so that's just kind of what uh, I had to do and what my fellow chaplains had to do, my battalion chaplains. And I had uh, 
some some heroes with me. You know, Scott McCosh, Primitivo Davis, Jennifer Cooper, Jeff Roberson, uh, Matt Sprecher. Uh, these guys were rowing hard, you know, across, you know, the battle space. Both infantry uh, battalions lost over 20. Uh, so just, you know, we either convoying or flying almost weekly doing memorials. Uh, so just uh, the most difficult by far year of my life. So I'm, sometimes there's a, you know, misperception that you're, you're a chaplain, you're a spiritual leader. Um, you're supposed to have some kind of special immunity to, to some of those difficulties. That's clearly not the case. What helped you keep putting one foot in front of the other and then when you got back, um, work through uh, some of those things that you experienced? Um, the mission, um, no-fail mission, uh, providing you know the services, and, and that was my joy. That was really what got me through it. If I had not stayed so busy, um, I wouldn't have been able to make it. And just knowing that I wasn't alone, you know, that uh, I was there, and, uh, you know, the camaraderie that I had with my fellow chaplains. Uh, and, and we each were fighting our own demons and our own, you know, uh, thoughts. Um, and um, we really didn't fully acknowledge it until later, just how low we all got um, during that time. You're, you're trying to put your best face forward. Um, but... Uh, it was one of those times where I was walking, you know, down the road, and the brigade S three said, "Chaplain, are you okay? You, you know, you you look." And that that's when it um, kind of hit me that I, I need to be careful about my face, what my face is saying, because I'm trying always to put on the smile, you know, to show that the broad smile. Um, but it becomes hard uh, to do to fake sometimes. So, uh, one, I just think the, the hand of the Lord helped me through this, that difficult time, even though I didn't feel, you know, the joy of the Lord, uh, I knew he was there and I knew he was carrying me. Um, and then once I got back, uh, both times I returned from deployment, um, my wife and I saw counseling. Mm. And so that has proved invaluable. Uh, so... We uh, learned early on that, uh, you know, you can't just encourage your soldiers and family members to go to counseling if you've never done it yourself. And so we, we did, and we were immensely helped uh, in both cases at Fort Bragg and, and uh, Fort Campbell and uh, sought out Army, Army One Source, you know, uh, talked to someone. And uh, so uh, the Lord, uh, the community of faith, and uh, counseling, and uh, I think that's made my counseling ministry even more impactful uh, as a counselor because I know what it's like to be sitting on that other side, to be sitting on that couch. And uh, so, yes, it's uh, one of the requirements when I went through the Family Eye program at Fort Benning was uh, we were all required. Um, now it wasn't a big deal for me because I'd, I'd been I'd had experienced counseling, but some of my fellow chaplains had never gone to see a counselor. Yeah, and they say you go to the counseling center and you line up appointments because how dare you try to counsel someone if you've never sat on that other side? And so you know we all benefited from that. Uh, so uh, 
Uh, and now uh, the result of that is that all my kids, I have four sons, three that are married, uh, they see that, you know, going to having uh, a marriage counselor, having a therapist, that's just part and parcel of being married. Hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that, you know, the wheels are falling off, doesn't mean that, uh, you know, things are about to, you know, fall off a cliff. It just means that you love your marriage and you love your spouse enough to, you know, go get the help you need. Yeah, there's something powerful about that as as a chaplain, as a caregiver yourself, when you can say, you know, I, I've had to get help too. Exactly. And then that, that takes the stigma away from that person sitting across from you going, oh, well, if the chaplain has done this, then it's okay for me too. Exactly. Well, sir, is there a day that, that stands out to you as just a particularly difficult day um, over over the course of your career? Um, <laughs> there were many of those days in Iraq uh, where we would have uh, either a catastrophic or, or a particular individual who was very well-loved. Um, I mean, those were, of course, you know, come to my mind. Um, but uh, there was also the time I was passed over. I was passed over for major. Um, and so uh, that was a particularly painful kick in the gut. Uh, so so. That, that's interesting because that's not one that I, I've heard on this podcast before. Um, you know, clearly God, God had a plan, and, and, got, and you're sitting across from me now getting ready to retire as a colonel. But what was that like for you as, as that captain finding out that you didn't get selected? Uh, that was uh, extremely painful. Um, my final three years before going before the major's board was with the 82nd. And uh, I had commanders that just didn't think that chaplains needed top locks. And, uh, you know, who was I to argue? Because we were, you know, getting ready to go to Afghanistan. And, you know, my fellow staff officers were working to 9 o'clock at night each and every night, you know, and the weekends. And and uh, so um, I didn't think anything about it, really. I just, uh, so, but when I got passed over, I was just like stunned. I couldn't believe it. Um and yeah, it wasn't. That's when I learned it. It didn't just affect the soldier, but the entire family, because mm. my kids were old enough at that point. You know, I had two young teenagers and two smaller uh, kids, and and it just felt like, you know, the whole family was wounded, and uh, and hurt, um, and so you know we all come together, you know, for support, and I had the support of all my friends and peers and all. Um, and, uh, you know, my installation chaplain and division chaplain and my commander, he said, chaplain, I had already gone to a brigade at that point. I was 2nd Brigade, 101st chaplain, and uh, with the anticipation that would make major. Mm-hmm. So when I, I got passed over, my commander, uh, bless his heart, Todd Ebel, he said, chaplain, I don't care what that board says, you're my chaplain, and you're not going anywhere. And uh, so... Um, he helped me. I wound up deploying with him, and uh, I got picked up in Afghanistan, pinned on a uh, major in Afghanistan. Uh, so it uh, turned out being a very um, transformative experience for me. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, it was definitely humbling, uh, but just plowing through, pressing on, um, doing. And, and because of that pain, I've been able to help 
you know, each time a list comes out now, I know what that's like. So I always send out letters and emails to people that I know that didn't make it mm-hmm. uh, to let them know, hey, I'm still in your corner. You know, I'm rooting for you. you yeah. Know? It's not over yet. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know that's that's a common anxiety that everybody faces, the waiting for those board results. Um, well, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, I've got a few more questions I wanted to ask you. As you look back um, over your decades in the chaplain corps, what have you loved most about being a chaplain? Um, I think uh, being privileged to be where the troops are. Uh, so as, as a chaplain, you can go to the motor pool, you can go into their offices, you can go in the field with them, you can sit in their Humvees with them, you can you know, sit in their track vehicles with them. You, you're training right alongside them. And so just being with them at their most difficult times when they're hot and sweaty and tired and broken, um, and just being able to be a representative of the Lord's goodness and grace uh, has been such a, a privilege. Um, and then just the hip pocket counseling that you do, uh, just the one-on-one, the real conversations that I've had with um, soldiers and NCOs uh, about their marriages. I'll never forget, you know, being out in some valley in Afghanistan. I can't even remember what it was, but you know, this guy telling me, you know what, my third marriage is going down the tube and you know if, if i if i had it to do all over again i should have stuck with my first wife i was just young and stupid and uh so just being able to uh in a sense be their pastor but also sort of be like a surrogate dad you know uh to them because i'm you know twice their age in, in many of their cases so um i know their uh, families back home uh, appreciated having a chaplain there, uh, that uh, they couldn't be there to embrace them, but there was a chaplain there that could give them a hug, that could say a prayer for them, uh, or lead them in a favorite hymn that they uh, remembered singing back at their home church in Chicken Switch, Georgia. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you don't really think about. Um, chaplains are typically a little bit older than not just peer officers, but definitely older than the soldiers that we're working with. And that extra life experience, it it's hard to put a price on that. It really is. I was 33, uh, my uh, first assignment. Um, and, uh, you know, first lieutenant, uh, all my peers were in their, you know, 20s, uh, low 20s. Uh, so chaplains, tend to come in in their 30s. So you have some life experience. You've been around the block as far as marriage goes. Uh, So uh, we we tend to be able to provide that uh, sage advice uh, and wisdom uh, to these uh, young troops that are on our right and our left. And you're out running PT with them and all, and they they can look at you with the gray hair and and be inspired. Well, if he can do it, I can do it. Right, right. (laughs) So that's, that's been fun. So one of the other things that uh, we have here at Fort Jackson, not just uh, a major basic training site, but we also have the chaplain school here. And it's pretty neat to get to go to work and uh, see the, the Chibolic classes. I, I work over there on that, on that side of the installation and see these, these fresh up-and-coming 
chaplains getting ready to step out into the force uh, and and influence our soldiers. Um, what advice would you give to those chaplains who are just getting ready to start out into this ministry? Uh, I would say do your homework. Um, stay prayed up, fired up, um, and uh, no matter where you go, always be ready. You know, have have a hip pocket sermon ready to go um, when you deploy, uh, whether it be to Iraq or Afghanistan or to the National Training Center. Uh, be ready uh, at all times because you know soldiers will surprise you. You know, you you just trucking right along and you're on your own, and they're gonna say, "Chapman, what's the word of the day?" You know, so that's that's something I've always. You know, I, I was caught flat-footed a few times, but uh, after that, I learned, okay, I better have a word of the day ready. So, <laughs> um, and just you know, keeps your your marriage strong. Uh, there's nothing more important uh, than your family. Uh, so, I know the temptation out there is to, you know, chase OER, you know, to uh, chase uh, the uh, the bullets of in promotion, uh, but you really have to balance your family, the needs of your family, the children, and your relationships. Uh, so uh, that has been what has helped me make it so far. Uh, when I hang it up in a few months, I'll have 28 years and four months, but just knowing that uh, my family was solidly behind me and uh, they saw this ministry uh, and even now, my boys—they're all adults. They're—they're they're proud of me, and they're—they're uh, they're fond of, uh, you know, what we do, um, and they understand the importance of it. Uh, so having their support, and uh, you know, and that doesn't—you—you you don't take that for granted. Hmm. That has to be cultivated. You got to take time for them as well. So I would say, you know, make sure you have the the work-life balance. Right, and uh, you maintain your spirit. You know, you have to be fed spiritually uh, before you can feed others as well. Uh, so make sure you stay plugged in, you know, to the power source and that you don't try to gut through this. This is a challenging ministry. I mean, I wouldn't encourage anyone to even think about being a chaplain unless you really felt the call and uh, unless you just knew for a fact um, that. Uh, you know, he was calling you and that he was going to uh, equip you and inspire you uh, to do it because it's not for the faint of heart. Um, it, it is a challenge. Uh, and there are times where it, it will be a fight. Um, you know, our enemy uh, doesn't want us uh, to succeed. Uh, one of the greatest challenges, I, I think, the facing the chaplain corps is the increasing uh, secularity of uh, our society. Um, and uh, so there's just that uh, rising tide of uh, anti-spiritual um, focus or anti-religious. Uh, so where society and Hollywood and uh, the enemy just tries to paint you as, um, you know, being some um, idiot that just fell off a watermelon truck, you know, or just stumbled out of a you know, a cave uh, for still believing in God, uh, you, you have to be able to boldly stand up and say, hey, you know, that's right. I do believe in God. I'm proud of it. Uh, but that takes a strength and a certain of uh, steel in your character uh, to be able to do in a society that increasingly paints you in a corner uh, as being the bad guy. 
so I would just say be strong in your faith, in the power of your witness, and uh, lean on the Lord and in your family. Bring them close. Embrace them uh, because this is definitely a team effort. Uh, you're not in this alone. Uh, in the multitude of counselors, one of my favorite verses uh, is, is safety, okay, in the Old Testament. Uh, so definitely uh, reach out. Uh, don't try to gut through this ministry on your own. It's a team effort. Well, sir, have there been any books that have been particularly helpful for you over the years that you would recommend? You know, the the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, the um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, to me, that was transformative when I, when I first read it. Um, and uh, so there are certain practices uh, that uh, to be successful that you need to implement in your life. Um, and, uh, you know, you really need to engage that and, uh, you know, study, you know, your faith, uh, un- listen to understand. Uh, so uh, definitely encourage you to be a lifelong learner. Uh, when I was a basic course instructor, uh, first time I was stationed at Fort Jackson, 11 to 14, I was a small group leader for the basic course. And uh, what I used to tell uh, our students is, you know, if, if you feel like you know, the chaplaincy is the kind of job where you can, it's just like an eight to five job where you can come home and turn on the boob tube and watch TV for hours every night, you know, on the weekends. Uh, you, you probably have uh, misjudged the chaplaincy because it's, it's one of these jobs that requires a lot of uh, professional development. You know, it, not just from the Bible, not just from your pastoral perspective, uh, but from the military perspective and uh, to be effective minister and counselor, uh, you really all always need to be sharpening your, your sword, your axe, to uh, always be prepared uh, to be a help. Um, one of my favorite sayings from back to David Smart, uh, my early chaplain hero, uh, he used to say, someone asked him one time, what, what does it take to be a successful chaplain, you know, in the chaplain corps to get to make rank? And he, uh, he said, Make yourself a $100 bill. Nobody throws away a $100 bill. And he said, well, how do you do that? Well, okay, you constantly be studying. You constantly be working and on improving, you know, your game. You know, going to these courses. Um, uh, going to, you know, whatever. You know, if it's air assault school, you get an opportunity to do that, do that. If airborne school, get an opportunity to do that, do that. Um, if it's, you know, a, a class on preaching, learn how to do that. Uh, if it's uh, ways and means to improve your counseling, do that. Um, if it's uh, learning, you know, how to effectively counsel for substance abuse, do that. Um, you know, commanders don't want to lose uh, folks like that. And uh, so when you um, sharpen your sword and you stay competent and you you're fit physically spiritually intellectually professionally um you will never be kicked to the curb and uh so that's something i'll never forget and it's helped me along the way well sir i think that is a great place to wrap things up uh chaplain nichols i really appreciate your time today um and this is a great way to relaunch this podcast. So thank you very much for, for sitting down with me uh, and for your willingness to share your stories and, and some of those struggles that you had as well. I think that's very valuable. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chaplain Nichols. I know it was a joy to interview him. Uh, If you did enjoy it, could you share this with your friends on social media? Uh, You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Google Play Store. So just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. Look us up, hit subscribe, and share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time for another Chaplain Story. Thunder and flame, wherever the call.